Hello, everyone, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, May 27th, 2022. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Okay, well, we're ending the week. This has not been a good week, obviously. Obviously, in the middle of the week, something horrible happened. You know, I think it's like a, <clears throat> a PTSD kind of a thing, right? When it first happens, well, it happens so often that it's kind of like numbing. But I think when something like this first happens, the first 24, 48 hours, it's just like you don't actually feel it. And then you begin to feel it. You begin to hear more about it. You hear these horrible, horrible stories, you know. Um, I think there was a story today about uh, an 11-year-old girl who was in the class and she uh, was injured. I think she had just fragments. She wasn't shot. I think she had uh, bullet fragments, I think, in the in her back. And um, she, her friend was, I think, dead next to her. And she, uh, there was a lot of blood on the floor. And I think she took the blood and put it in a very smart thing to do, obviously. Put the blood on her and laid there as though she was dead. And the shooter, if he saw her, thought she was dead. And that's how she survived. But that's, you know, very resourceful. And it's thinking, you know, very quickly and not panicking, which is incredible for an 11-year-old. I mean, that's incredible for an 11-year-old. I mean, that's like something you'd, you'd see in a movie, written, right? But not an actual, real-life 11-year-old. But anyway, that's what she did, and she survived. And, but think about the... We talk about PTSD for those of us who, you know, or just have to deal with the news about this. But imagine the PTSD of an 11-year-old girl seeing 19, well, 21 people killed around her, including 19 of her friends her age, and then doing the blood thing, putting their blood all over. I mean, this is like... You're talking about therapy for life. You're talking about possibly ruining her life even though she's alive because having to deal with this for the rest of her life she's only 11 how's this going to affect her when she's 15 or 21 or an adult or whatever it may be it's just it's it's hard to to fathom it's hard to fathom you know and so you're hearing more and more than you know the, the post had the, all the faces the young faces of the 10 year olds including one eight year old and the two 40 something year old teachers you know who had killed and um and so it begins to, you know, you used to begin to think about it at night. You start to think about it in your dreams. I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing. It really is. It's horrible for everyone, all of, all of, all of this country, all of society, really, you know. Um, and then once again, you say, okay, what do we do to make sure it doesn't happen again? And so we say this all the time, right? We say, what are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then we say things like, but it's going to happen again. And of course it does. And it could be a month, it could be three months, it could be a year. It happens again. Whether it's in a uh, school or whether it's in a movie theater or whether it's in a concert, what have you, right? A, a, a supermarket. Or just violence on the streets that we see every day now, more and more, especially in our inner cities, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, New York, so on and so forth. In the subway systems and all of that stuff. It's all violence. It's all horrible violence. I mean, it really is. If one person is killed in the subway, that's horrible too, you know? If one person is, is raped or mugged or shot or killed on the streets, that's horrible too. And those add up. We hear about these major ones where 21 people die in one instant, instant in, incident, but they all add up. You're talking about Chicago every weekend. What, it's five, six, seven, eight a weekend? It's ridiculous. So... What do we do? Now, we, I've tried to come up with ideas. I tried to come up with some ideas of my own. 
uh, on, on Wednesday's show. And yesterday's show, I had on my friend to talk about some ideas. I'm not, I'm not a gun owner. I've never owned a gun. I think I've held one recently. Uh, so twice in my life, I've held a gun, never shot a gun. I never owned a gun, not particularly wanted to own a gun. I think I've owned mace. And that's about it. And I wanted to have someone on who owns guns, has owned a lot of guns, and who's in the military and has used guns and so on and so forth. It gives a different perspective. It gives a very different perspective. But what we see all the time, and we, you know, and I hope to not talk about this too much next week, but I think we have to end the week talking about it, is, is, um, is the knee-jerk reactions to this. It's the emotional reaction. Now, emotional reactions, when something like this happens, are absolutely fine and normal, Right? You'd rather have people let it all out now as opposed to keeping it in. And so emotional reactions from people, that they be politicians or pundits or whatever you have, whatever have you, a, 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 an athletic sports coach, an NBA coach, that's fine. But that doesn't, that can't, that's not policy, you see. That's not going to change anything. It's not going to make fundamental changes when you, you go, oh, let's get these damn guns off the street. We have to do something about these guns. We have to just stop just talking. Do something. We have to stop this. See, that stuff is normal. That's emotional stuff. But it's not going to lead to any policy changes. It's certainly not going to lead to any policy changes when you say, you're responsible, when the person you're saying is responsible has a big role in whether policies are changed. It's not going to happen like that schmuck face, Beto O'Rourke. And, of course, I know many of my friends on the left think he's a hero now. And that's what he was hoping for. He's hoping enough people in Texas... He was dying in the polls. He had no chance of winning in the polls. Enough people would see that, that it would bump up his campaign, right? And that's why he did it. That's why he's a scumbag. He did it for himself. If he wasn't running for governor, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that if he wasn't running for an office. So which proves that he's a scumbag. He did it just for political reasons, purely political reasons. Because there was like, you know, you talk about premeditation, right? They talk about these shooters, right? With premeditation, they buy the guns, they set it up. Sometimes they write about it, they tweet about it. It's not just like they go crazy and, and at that instant they just go nuts. No, this is like premeditated craziness. Well, Beto O'Rourke's craziness is also premeditated. It wasn't like he was uh, at some event randomly and something happened and it got him going. He went there. You could see there were photos of him like getting ready to pounce. He was, in other words, he went there knowing what he was going to do and he was just waiting for his quote-unquote moment, so it was all pre-planned. It wasn't like he's sitting there and something, one particular thing is said that just sets him off and he does something he wasn't expecting to do, which would be dumb enough, but we know that wasn't the case. You can see in the photos, he's planning, he's getting ready. It's like he's ready to pounce, right? He's ready to pounce, he's looking, he's ready to jump out of his seat. So he was just waiting for his cue, if you will, um, which is the total douchebag, He's a total douchebag. There's no doubt about it. And I love that Abbott just stood there very calmly, didn't engage, pretended he was a nobody because he is a nobody. If you look at the polls, Texans think he's a nobody. I mean, he did much better against Cruz in the Senate race simply because Cruz is not liked the way Abbott is, especially back at that point. And also Beto was new, right? Now people have seen Beto's game. Here's a funny story. We have to have one light moment this week. So a couple – yesterday on Twitter, I go on Twitter, all right, and I post simply, Beto, you're a jerk off. Go jump on top of a car. Go jump on top of a car, you moron. That's what I wrote. Hey, Beto, you jerk, go, go jump on top of a car, on top of a car, you moron, okay? Now, those of you 
listening to the show understand why I sat on top of the car, right? Because that's what he did during his whole presidential campaign. This ridiculous grandstanding where he jumped on top of cars in the middle of parking lots and do these impromptu, quote-unquote impromptu, you know, rallies. And everyone thought he looked like a 15-year-old moron. And people saw that, which is why he's lost a lot of cachet in Texas. But so uh, last night I go on Twitter and uh, I'm about to post something and it pops up because uh, it says, uh, well, you, you've been, you, you, you're being suspended for 12 hours because you – listen to this now. You urged someone to commit suicide or you talked about yourself committing suicide. And then it goes through this whole ridiculous thing. We're here for you if you need help. Here's the suicide hotline. Now, obviously, some either jerky robot or jerky tech, but they're basically the same thing. A jerky robot and a jerky tech are the same thing. Um, read it as me saying, telling Beto to go jump in front of a car. So, and it suspended me for urging someone to commit suicide. Now, this is, the, this is how ridiculous the censorship is on Twitter and the way they do it and their, their haphazard way of doing it. I said jump on top of a car. So either a robot read that as jump in front of a car and kill yourself, obviously, or a human being, I guess this would have to be worse, read it as jump in front of a car. A human being not knowing what Beto did for a year during that campaign. I don't know if it lasted a year. But he did it 150 times. I mean, that was a big thing. Jado, Beto jumping on top of cars. It was like a hashtag. So either way, this shows how ridiculous. Now, it gave me the option. Twitter gave me the option to appeal it. And I thought, well, 12 hours. I'm going to bed. I, you know, I sleep for eight, nine hours. Big friggin' deal. I can do 12 hours with two hands tied behind my back. So I didn't appeal it. And I felt if I had appealed it, I might have gotten a, a bigger suspension because I called him a moron. Remember, that's bullying. When you call a, you know, a, a wealthy politician a moron, that's bullying them. They can't take it. They cry. So I said, you know what? what the hell with this? 12 hours. I'll, I'll just – so I was, you know, I was in a timeout for 12 hours for doing nothing wrong. I did not urge someone to commit suicide. And let's put it this way. Let's say I had even said, hey, Beto, go jump in front of a car, you jerk. Is Beto O'Rourke going to go jump in front of a car? Is he going to get so depressed by what Micah Chopley says that he's going to commit suicide? This is how stupid Twitter is. This is why we need Elon Musk, not, not today, yesterday. Stop putting it off, Elon. I know you listen to the show twice a week. I know I got you to twice a week, maybe up to three times a week now. Don't pause this anymore. Buy the fucking thing. Buy it. If it costs you an extra $10 billion, you'll make that back in two and a half seconds. You know that. You know your stock's going to go back up again. You know that. So just do it. We have to end this ridiculous, it's not even smart censorship, whatever smart censorship might look like. It's idiotic censorship. It's absolutely idiotic censorship. Anyway, I digress a little bit. But talking about Bader O'Rourke, yes. The man is a moron. The man is an idiot. And that's not how you get things done. So does Bader O'Rourke, now once again, he doesn't, once again, he did it to grandstand to boost his dying campaign. He did it for personal, political, and money power gain because he knows that doing that to people who you consider your opponents or the guy who's your opponent in the election or your opponent on an issue is not going to get them to change by pointing at them and screaming at them. So this is what we've come to here. How do we actually make change? Now, Beto Rock is not, a, not an adult. He's not a serious person. He's a child. He's a wealthy, elitist, privileged spoiled brat. 
So we can't count on someone like him. God forbid he would ever become governor of Texas, which he's not, nor senator, um, nor president of the United States. How ridiculous. Really, how inane. Uh, so we have to figure out how, who can we rely on and how can we make real change? Real change. And that is by doing what I did on the show yesterday, talking to people who have a different point of view. I don't like guns. I'm not a gun owner. I found some, I have a friend who likes guns and is a gun owner. He wants to take me to a shooting range. He alluded to that. If you heard him talking about shooting ranges, it's because I said I would go for a different experience. And I uh, haven't done it yet, but hopefully will soon. Um, and you talk to people with other points of view. And you say, okay, what, what can we do? What can we agree on? Okay, the Second Amendment is not going away. Uh, we're not taking guns away from everybody. We're not taking guns off the streets. There are 350 to 370 million guns out there in this country, which is more than a gun per person. So it's not going to happen, okay? We'll eradicate COVID well before we get rid of the guns, and we're not going to eradicate COVID. So <clears throat> you have to figure out what can we do? What the hell can we do? What can we agree on? I alluded to things we can do right now, things that would not take years of, 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 uh, of legislation, right? Um, we could fortify the schools. We could fortify the schools. Now, I don't like the idea of teachers having guns. I don't like that. That's not what their job, that's not what they got into. They didn't go into law enforcement, they went to teaching. It's almost the opposite in a lot of ways, right? So I think we need real law enforcement people who know guns, who know how to handle guns, and who got into that line of business to be in the line of fire, all right? So we need to find that. We'll talk about that in a second, about some, I, some talk about the police not going in fast enough. I have to allude to that. I don't know all the facts. I've been catching up to it on my, uh, my Twitter feed today and watching on television. But there's some talk about the shooter having shot outside for 12 minutes before going. He was shooting the gun for 12 minutes. And the police never showed up in that amount of time to stop him. I don't know. And then inside for 40 minutes, an hour. I don't, I don't. There's a lot of talk about the police not acting fast enough. I don't know all the details. I don't know. Uh, how big that police department is in that small town. I don't know other stuff. We'll get to that. But anyway, going back to what we can do. Can we fortify the schools? What, can, we do so, can, we do, can we do this? Can we agree on this? One point of entry in a school. I can't see why we can't agree on a school having one point of entry. A courthouse has one point of entry. City Hall here has two points of entry, and they're both guarded. Okay? So one, how about one point of entry in a school? <clears throat> which most schools are much smaller than the city hall in here in San Francisco. So one point of entry in a school, I think we can do that, right? And have that one point of entry guarded by one, two people maybe, right? Depending how big the school is, anywhere from one to maybe four armed security guards. Sure, why can't we do that? There are a lot, in fact, there are a lot of off-duty police, there are a lot of retired police who have said they would volunteer to do that. They would volunteer to put in hours to do that. So I think we can do that. I think we can. And I don't think uh, metal detectors I don't agree with because most of these shootings are not students who have guns on them. It's intruders who have, you know, AK-47s and, and armored. So you don't <laughs> what's a metal detector going to do? I don't like the idea of kids having to go through metal detectors. So 
I think that. One point of entry and some kind of armed security, at least one person there with a gun. Okay. I think that's something we can do in every school. And that would at least make parents feel better, make the children feel better, and be a deterrent. A deterrent. Right now, these shooters know there's no deterrent. At the most, there'll be one 60-year-old guy sleeping. You know, there's no deterrent here. So make it a deterrent, which could stop a lot of these things from happening. Just a presence. Just knowing there's only one point of entry, and that point of entry is fortified. Bulletproof glass, locked door. So you're talking about one point of entry, bulletproof, bulletproof glass, locked door, and at least one armed guard. That's major deterrence. We don't have that now. And I think we can do that. We, sent, we just sent $40 billion, yet they're sending billions and billions of other packages to Ukraine to protect them, their children. We can protect our children for a lot less than $40 billion. In one spending package, we can do it in an instant. In an instant. I think that's very common sense. So that's one thing we can do, right? What's another thing we can do? Well, I think I had mentioned it yesterday. I had mentioned the idea of not allowing body, arm- body armor to be sold to an average citizen unless they have proof of why they need it. And even the average citizen who, let's say, has gotten death threats or can prove that someone's after them, someone's stalking them, they have a, a lover who's violent, a bulletproof vest is usually fine. You don't need all that armor like you're going into Ukraine, you're going into a war zone. So I think we can talk about that, right? We can talk about the body, body armor, okay? And not being necessary for the average citizen. I've talked about this in the past, especially when I was on the left side of things. Uh, the idea that we don't need, uh, the average citizen doesn't need an assault weapon. Now, unlike the body armor, then you, f- you get into Second Amendment issues when it comes to the actual weapons. With body armor, I don't believe you have any Second Amendment right to body armor, to a bulletproof vest. But you, the, the Second Amendment people would say that you do have the right to any kind of a weapon that's available. That was the intent. You were allowed to have any weapon that was available at the time. No, not a bomb, not a cannon, friggin' Biden. No, you couldn't have that, but you could have any kind of a weapon, any kind of a gun that was available, right? So uh, that's where you get into wish, that's when you get into tough territory. No, I don't think the average, what normal person thinks the average citizen needs an AK 47? Why would the average citizen, I keep on saying AK 47, I'm not a gun expert. And I know that the term semi automatic is very general also. And gun experts will say it's a baloney phrase. It's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to say it. A lot of gu- guns fall into this category. But uh, the kind of weapons that are used, let's put it this way. I'll make it simple. The kind of weapons that are used in these school shootings, the average citizen doesn't need. You don't need it for hunting. You don't kill deers with these weapons. You don't, you know, you don't need 50 rounds in five seconds to kill a deer. So there's that. That can be talked about. However, I always thought when I was on the left side of things, um, it's funny how you don't know the facts when you're on the left side for some reason. Well, they don't penetrate. I thought the assault weapons ban worked. As the Democrats like to say, like to brainwash people, and it worked with me, that uh, these mass shootings were down 50% during the ban, and then they came back again after. It's not true. It's not true. The fact of the matter is there were about four – before the assault weapons ban, there was about four mass shootings with those weapons – out of like 16. And during the ban, it was about 4 out of about 15. So it was the same amount of, of, same amount of the minority of shootings was still the same amount, 4, 
for mass shootings with these weapons that were banned during the ban and before the ban. So it really didn't stop the shootings at all. It didn't stop people from using these assault weapons if they wanted to at all. And, and, and here's, the, here's another point about the assault weapons ban. Micah Chopoli is president. I'm playing Micah Chopoli is president. Which I like to play at least once a week. I say tomorrow, no more assault weapons gone. You can't sell them anymore. You know how many are on the streets now? I don't know. Out of the 360 million guns, I don't know how many of them are assault weapons, but there's got to be millions. So it's kind of pointless. You know, a lot of people, like that kid, might not have been able to buy one now. But then, right now you can buy one. So that's the route. But if the route is black market, they'll get them on the black market. You see? It could take an extra day. It could take an extra week. It could take an extra month. They're going to do it if they want to do it. Once again, you have a, we need to talk to see how the, the way out, you talk it out, common sense. I'm actually talking this out, common sense, right? I'm trying to go through the details about what would actually really help and what just makes us feel better emotionally. What just makes us feel better emotionally and what will actually change things. That's... That's the difference. That is the difference, folks. So I'm not sure about no assault weapons ban, if it works or not. I'm not going to cry if there's another assault weapons ban, but neither will people who want to get an assault weapon. Okay, so there's that. Okay, we can talk about that some other time. Background checks. I've always been for background checks. I still am. I'm not sure there are already background checks in most places. They already do background checks. Let me tell you that the people who sell guns, many of them, they give the eye to people. They, if they don't like what they see, they don't sell them. You know? But what are you going to do with the background? What are you going to check? What if there's nothing to check? If someone's 18, they probably don't have anything to check. They probably don't. This kid probably had nothing. He had no criminal record. He was never in a psychiatric institution. So what is that? We'll talk about that in a second. So what is there to check? He would have passed. You got that something on record with the FBI. Mental issue or a con, your ex-con or some kind of a criminal. So a lot of these situations, most of them that we've seen with these young kids in their 18s and 20s, in their teens and 20s, would have passed anyway. And like I said, we have these. We have a lot of these quote-unquote common sense laws that libs like to talk about in most places. So... I don't know. I don't know if background checks would... Once again, if you extend the background checks, it'll make people feel better emotionally. But will it really do anything? I don't know. Mental health. And this is what I'm going to end on for this show because I have a, a film review to do. We need to end this week with a film review. We all need to go out and see a film, I think, especially the one I'm going to review. But uh, yes, so background checks, we fill this up with... Mental health. We have to work on mental health. This is a major issue, and morons like Chris Murphy who say this is not an issue, people have mental health issues all over the world. It is an issue here. We have more mental health problems here, and we have a shittiest mental health system here, okay, along with our shitty healthcare system. So we need to work on mental health. We need to talk about opening up mental health hospitals again and forcing people in if it gets to that point. That, I think, is very important. Forcing people to get therapy the way we have to force drug addicts to get therapy, okay, to rehabilitate. This is something that's uncomfortable, that the left does not want to touch, and we need to talk about it. Mental health, mental health, mental health. That is the through line with all of these shooters. They're all psychologically fucked up. 
Okay? None of them are sane. They all show signs of being insane well before they do it, often for years. Okay? This kid was doing things that were... Look, there are some things he dressed in women's clothes. I don't think there's anything insane about that. You have to you have to be able to separate things that are really bad from things that are not. And kids nowadays are experimenting. We know this. Come on. So he's 18. He's dressing his woman's clothes. He wants to feel feminine. That's not. If that was the worst thing he did, we could have lived with it. He wouldn't have killed anybody. He didn't go to that school dressed as a woman in lingerie. He went dressed as a military fucking paramilitary guy. Okay. So let's separate the shit. The bullshit from the, from the stuff that really matters here. And he did not. He was showing other signs, though. People saying he was a loner. You know, he had done some things that might have been seen as violent or cruel earlier. You have to pick up on these things. We have to be able to pick up on these things and send people to therapists, psychologists, get mental health help, drugs if absolutely necessary, and force them if necessary. We have to improve mental health. We have to put more money... Like we give money to Ukraine into mental health here. And that's where I'm going to end right now. We'll probably talk about this more next week. We'll talk about more about the cops and the, 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 the moments leading up to this thing and, you know, if the cops were at fault or not, which is very possible. You know, you're seeing people on the left, of course, they're very quick to, to blame the cops. And the people on the right, they're very quick to totally defend the cops. Well, there's probably truth is probably right in the middle there. And we're going to get there next week. Okay. All right. Well... Let's take a deep breath. Everyone with me as I go on IMDb to make sure I get all the names right and all that. I know one name, Tom Cruise. Are you excited? Are you, tell me you're excited. Take a deep breath. Deep breath. Okay. Top Gun Maverick. That's our film. It opens today. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. I'm looking up. Okay. Directed by Joe Kaczynski. Uh, Tom Cruise is back as Maverick. He's Maverick and he's back. And people are thinking, boy, it's been so many years since Top Gun. Did I even see that movie? I know I've heard about it a lot. Boy, maybe I've seen it when it was first out. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. If you've seen Top Gun, great. If you haven't seen the original Top Gun, don't worry. It's all worked out perfectly in a brilliantly uh, scripted (laughs) film written by Jim Cash. And uh, Jack Epps Jr. Uh, actually, actually, we have a we have a, sorry. The original it's based on characters created by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. The screenplay is by Peter Craig, Justin Marks, Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and the great Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, usual suspects. Okay, so it, it it really does. If you haven't seen the original Top Gun, it doesn't matter. You know, if you have seen it, it'll give you you know all the feels. As there are flashbacks to scenes from giving you the backstory uh, of, 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 Tom, of, of, of Maverick and uh, the original film and all the drama involved in it and the relationships between the characters and uh, Miles Teller. Miles Teller of the great Whiplash and the fantastic The Offer on TV, which I'll be reviewing again when it concludes in three weeks. Um, I'm up to seven episodes now of ten. And uh, a little cameo by Val Kilmer. Now, uh, Miles Teller uh, plays the son of... He plays the son of the character who died in the original Top Gun. Okay? The character, the son 
of the character who usually... And, of course, there's, there's tension because he thinks that Tom Cruise may have had something to do. He could have prevented his father's death or he caused his father's death. So there's a lot of angst there. Tom Cruise, as we find out, tried to be kind of a father figure to Miles Teller. It didn't work out. He did something which hurt Miles Teller's career because he, he didn't think Miles Teller was ready. He didn't think he was ready to, you know, go full out. And uh, he, 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 he pulled his papers, as they say which hurt his career, set his career back four years. So there's that tension. There's a tension with what happened in the original Top Gun with his father. There's this tension with what Tom Cruise, what Maverick has done to his career. And now, in this episode of Top Gun Maverick, in this film, Tom Cruise is brought on to teach Miles Teller and a bunch of other pilots. The mission is a top-secret mission where they have to go fly into enemy territory and destroy a site, a nuclear site, before it becomes fully active, and and fly out, and it's a very, very dangerous mission, and Tom Cruise is brought on as Maverick to teach it, but of course, of course, Tom Cruise can't just be a teacher. In the end, he, he ends up leading the mission. Um, and John Hamm plays his boss, and there's a cameo from uh, Val, Kil- Val Kilmer, you'll remember, as, uh, as Ice, a uh, very kind of melancholy, sad cameo by Val Kilmer. And like I said, John Hamm plays Tom Cruise's... Uh, um, boss in this, his superior, he's running the mission. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is back as Tom Cruise's love interest, but let me tell you something. And Tom Cruise actually introduces this film, by the way, which they're doing a lot now. They're trying to get people back into theaters, so they're having actors and directors introducing their films, welcoming people back into theaters. And Tom Cruise says in his introduction, we tried to be as immersive as possible, we used real planes, everything, you know, there's a lot of reality to it. Boy, was he ever right. I mean, let me tell you something, if you suffer from vertigo, Take a pill, take a Dramamine before going to see this because there are some scenes, epic scenes of flight sequences in which it really seems like the, Tom Cruise and his fellow actors are actually flying these planes. You know, we know Tom Cruise. We never know what he's doing, what he's not doing because he loves doing his stunts. He loves doing the real thing. He doesn't like having, you know, stunt doubles do his work for him. And he's right. It looks much better. But the, the, the flight sequences... Even though even the practice sequences leading up to this, the major climactic sequences, which is absolutely, I mean, my palms were sweating. The cinematography is fantastic. It's almost like you are flying with them. You are there in the air with these fighter pilots. I believe, you know, I haven't seen Top Gun in a long time, but I don't remember the flight sequences being as, as, as uh, gut-wrenching, edge-of-your-seat gut-wrenching, dizzying as the flight sequences in this film. So the flight sequences work. The action stuff is fantastic. But the screenplay is great because it makes you care about these characters. It makes you care about this mission they're on. And it does such a great job of integrating the past with the present. And the, 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 the development, but the, the, the tension between the characters. And, and the fact that you have a guy who Tom Cruise is about 60 years old who still looks fantastic. But still, there is the idea that this is later on in his career. This, this could possibly be his last mission. There's a point where it seems like it might be his last mission, but of course Tom Cruise is way too valuable. His character, the Maverick character is way too valuable, and you have to feel there might be another installment here. But from beginning to end, I mean, they talk about films having everything. You're talking about incredible action sequences, you're talking about great writing, you're talking about dramatic tension, you're talking about great chemistry and romance between Cruise and Connolly, and great chemistry between all the fighter pilots. It's the same stuff we got from the original Top Gun. Just a great, the idea that this is a, a, a team and a unit and they care about each other 
and it makes you care about them more, and it makes you care about the mission more, and it makes you care about whether they succeed more, and it's not just... And this is a film where we've seen so many movies lately that just are so heavy with CGI. Some of them are pretty good. But this all seems incredibly real. doesn't seem to be any CGI. You know there is, but fantastic. From Really, from beginning to end, Top Gun delivers on everything, on every single level. It is truly a great spring-slash-summer entertainment. I highly recommend it. I give it an A. It's one of the best films of the year. All right. So we end on a good note, right? A great film. It'll, it'll you know, take you out of reality for a while. We all need that. Go see this on a big screen. Do not wait to stream this, all right? You'll feel the wrath of Micah Chopley if you do. Go see it in a movie theater. Top Gun Maverick opening today. Solid A. Okay, that's been uh, and let's be heard for this week. Let's hope we have a better weekend. Everyone have a good weekend, okay? My name's Micah Chopley, uh, as I've said 17 times today. And, uh... Remember, always remember, vote Democrats out of office. Come on, come on, vote them out now. Speak to you Monday.